good morning to all of you. I've been blessed already this morning being here, and um, I trust that um, maybe I can bless you all a little bit. I thought as a subject I would talk a little bit about rest this morning. And maybe for some of you, you don't have any trouble resting. You find that easy in this work that it's a difficult thing, but some people are more type A people, and they, um, they have trouble resting. Truly sitting down and uh, putting work aside and, and doing the things that are involved with resting. And so I thought maybe this morning I would start um, thinking a little bit about rest in the Old Testament and then moving to the New Testament and finally finishing up maybe with a few applications for ourselves. And at that point, then we'll go home and eat lunch and we will rest. So what is rest? Rest is stopping work to refresh and regain strength. So it's important to remember that in order to rest, you have to have worked first. And um, if you don't work and you're resting, it's called laziness. And the Bible talks about that too, but I'm not going to talk about that this morning. We all need to rest, and I feel like this is directly related to fatigue. Our human tendency is to wait to rest until we absolutely have to. We're at the breaking point. There's nothing left to give, and we think, oh, I'm just going to take a few moments here and catch up. Um, I read um, that Thomas Edison was proud of the fact that he never slept. Well, he slept, of course, but he would, he would just wait until he was just dying with the need to sleep, and then he would lie down for 30 minutes, and he'd get up again, and he'd go again, and he just thought, oh, he had so many inventions because, um, um, because he, um, he didn't sleep. And the reality is he had many inventions because he had very smart people who did sleep working for him and with him. I think um, a little bit about... Um, one time that um, I had a delivery. I used to deliver babies on the phone anymore. And, um, and I was up most of the night, a Saturday night, and I decided, um, even though I only got a couple hours of sleep, that I would go to church. And I was sitting in church, and I was fighting the need to rest. Um, and, um, and the verse came to my mind, Galatians 6, verse 9. It says, Let us not be weary and well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we thank God. And, um, and I thought, how can you not get weary when you're doing good and it's taking away your sleep? Uh, and um, surely the Apostle Paul, you know, he's going as a missionary and he's traveling around and then he's making tents to support himself and he's not taking any money from people. Didn't he get tired? And yes, he's the one who said this. And I'm convinced that Paul's not telling us not to get tired. You know, he, Paul wasn't, um, he wasn't dumb. He knew that people get tired, and he got tired too. But he was saying that in the midst of weariness, continue to do good. Rest when you need to, but then continue doing the good that God has set before you. The harvest here is one of harvest, isn't it? If you've taken the time, if you've taken the time to plant and to sow and to water, then God will give an increase. Um, and yes, there are days that will feel weary, um, but God is faithful. The rest in the Old Testament. We find this beginning in the book of Genesis, don't we? Um, so you all know Genesis chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. 
There are seven days of creation. And what did God do on the seventh day? Well, you rested, right? I mean, you all knew that. The subject this morning. And on the seventh day, God ended His work, which He had done. And He rested on the seventh day from all the work which He had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it He rested from all His work which God had created and made. Did God rest because He was tired? A couple of people are shaking their head. No, some people aren't sure. Um, I'm going to say that he was not tired, even though he created the universe in six days. God could do a lot more than that. Um, but he was setting a precedent, right? What is a precedent? A precedent is something that you do that other people follow. Um, it's almost like a tradition. So George Washington um, was our first president, right? And he did certain things. Um, and because he did certain things, other presidents have tended to do the same thing. So he only ran for two presidential terms, um, and then he said no more. Uh, maybe he was tired. Um, but since then, most people have tended to only run for two terms. There's been a couple of people who ran for more. But the principle was that God said that after a time of work must come a period of rest. Um, Let's turn to Exodus chapter 16 and read verses 23 through 30. This is something that we covered in Sunday school a while back, so you all probably remember this. Um, but this is talking about manna in the desert. And he said unto them, so this is Exodus 16, verse 23, that is that which the Lord has said. Tomorrow is the rest of the Holy Sabbath unto the Lord. Bake that which you will bake today, and seize that which you will seize, and that which remaineth over lay up for you to be kept until the morning. And they laid it up till the morning as Moses said, and it did not think, neither was there any worm therein. And Moses said, Eat that today, for today is a Sabbath unto the Lord. Today you shall find, not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is the Sabbath, in it there shall be none. And it came to pass that there went out some of the people on the seventh day, for together and they found none. And the Lord said unto Moses, How long refuse ye to keep my commandments and my laws? See, for that the Lord hath given you the Sabbath, therefore he giveth you on the sixth day the bread of two days. Abide ye every man in his place, but no man go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. But God imposed the Sabbath on the people. This was a day of rest. It was, um, they didn't have any choice about whether they would gather men or did they? Um, God said, make sure that you gather plenty on Fridays because Saturday there's going to be none. And the people who didn't pay any attention, um, they just went hungry, I guess, unless their neighbors had a little extra that they could throw their way. Um, and it also makes it clear that the that the um, cloud or the pillar of fire did not travel before them on the on the day of rest. And so, what does this what does this say? Well, it, to me, it speaks a little bit about the fact that in order for us to rest, it requires preparation. People who didn't do a little extra work on the sixth day suffered on the seventh day. 
Um, and the second thing is that God requires this before the Ten Commandments. So, you know, we think of the Ten Commandments, that's when the Sabbath day was instituted. Um, but God was talking to the people beforehand and saying, you need rest. Time away from labor. And so we come to the, the Ten Commandments. Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath for the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. This is the longest of the Ten Commandments, and it's pretty clear. God knew the tendency for humans would be for the wealthy people, anyway, to rest and have other people continue working around them. And so he said, even those of you who have servants who could work for you, don't do that. Everyone is to take the time. And we as individuals need a day of a week to rest. And so he comes along a little further in the Old Testament. He comes in Numbers chapter 15. <clears throat> While the people of Israel were in the wilderness, they found a man gathering sticks on the Sabbath day. And those who found him gathering sticks brought him to Moses and Aaron into all the congregation. They put him in custody because it had not been made clear what should be done to him. And the Lord said to Moses, the man shall be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him with stones outside the camp. And all the congregation brought him outside the camp and stoned him to death with stones as the Lord commanded Moses. It's pretty simple. A man's picking up sticks on Saturday. And the people were not sure what to do with him. Seems like there should be some punishment. He knows he's not supposed to be picking up sticks. Um, and so they put the man in jail, and then they, they ask God through Moses, what should we do? And God commands for the man to be stoned. That's what they did. Um, it's, a, it's a challenge here, because it doesn't seem like that big a deal to violate the law of rest. And yet God said it's a big deal. Um, and I suppose there's a couple of things here. You know, the first thing is that deliberate disobedience of God's laws does carry heavy penalty. Um, and we find that out in Romans, don't we, that the wages of sin is death. But the second thing is that it's clear that the Sabbath was really important. Sometimes we're hard on the Pharisees who say, you know, the Pharisees created all these laws, they, they created all this stuff about the Sabbath day, and it's just made up. And yet they look back in the book of Numbers and they say, this is a big deal to God. God cares about the Sabbath. He wants us to follow His laws and we want to make sure that we do what He asks us to do. And so it's a challenge for us, isn't it? Not to turn something that is for us into a burden. Next thing in the Old Testament that I see is Jubilee. So we know that there were Sabbath years and there were years of Jubilee. Every 50 years there was to be a year of Jubilee. And in the year of Jubilee, all the debts were canceled, the land was returned to its original family, slaves were freed, and the land was allowed to lie fallow. So the people did not plant anything. 
And um, in, in this year, the, the land was allowed to rest. And, you know, I suppose back then, I don't know how much they knew about rotation of crops. My guess is that they just planted barley or wheat or whatever they planted their grains every year. And, um, and so the, the land needed time to rest. Um, you know, you can only get so far with um, goat manure. Um, but what were the promises of Jubilee? The promises were freedom, the slaves were allowed to return to their homes, inheritance, the people's land reverted to its original families, and abundance. Now, Leviticus 25, verses 20 and 21 says, And if you say, What shall we eat in the seventh year? if we may not sow or gather in our crops. So obviously, it's a challenge, right? People are saying, I can't rest because I will not survive. My, my children won't eat if I do follow this. I will command my blessing on you in the sixth year so it will produce a crop sufficient for three years. And then the final thing, for freedom, inheritance, abundance, and protection. Jeremiah 34, 12 through 22 um, speaks of the fact that the children of Israel had forfeited God's protection because they did not keep these years of Jubilee and they did not release the servants. And I'm not going to read that right now, but it is really clear that God felt this was important. Not only did the people rest, but that their land rest. And the people didn't understand how much they needed it. And they could only see short-sightedly how much they would lose if they did not use all this time for work or at least have their servants working. The final thing in the Old Testament, and um, this may not come to you all, is it's the word Selah. So what does the word Selah mean? Um, it occurs 84 times in the Psalms, three times in Habakkuk, and it's a, it's a word that we don't know what it means. So why do I bring it up this morning? Well, a lot of people think it, it's referring to a time of rest in the middle of the psalm. And we aren't very good at observing rest. Um, maybe we at Bethel are a little better than at some churches, but, you know, it's a real tendency when you're a song leader to try to get through the song. You want to get to the end as quickly as possible so you can sit down and uh, you just hold this a little longer and you don't have pauses between, um, between verses. We like the first silence to be fulfilled, to, to be filled. In Psalm 46, it's a wonderful song. It's a song that begins, God is our refuge and strength. Present help in time of trouble. And in the midst of this song, there are three times that the word Selah pops up, where, it's, um, where the psalmist is saying, stop and think about what this song is saying. Um, what this song is speaking to you. There's a blessing, not only in times of doing, but also in times of rest. There's beauty not only in singing, but also in the quiet between the notes. And for some reason or another, as I was thinking about this, I thought about um, um, a contemporary composer by the name of John Cage, and he wrote a composition called Four Minutes and 33 Seconds. Um, and it's um, three movements long, and, um, and it um, has no music. They just set a stopwatch, and they sit on stage, um, and then when the one movement is done, and they set the next stopwatch. So I guess one movement is probably fast and one slower, but, but since there's no music, it's hard to tell, right? Um, and 
this sort of thing makes us realize that rest without music is really nothing. So, I mean, I could write a composition later this afternoon called Five Minutes and 26 Seconds, and it would just really just up the bar a little bit. It had four movements, but it'd still be nothing. Um, and those of us, we tend to migrate to the extremes, don't we? We tend to go either towards the work end or towards the rest end. And, um, and God's goal is for us to be productive, but also to take away time from our business to rest, to have moments of sila and shalom in our day and in our weeks. So let's move on to the New Testament. So probably the first thing that comes to mind since we were talking about Sabbath in the Old Testament is Sabbath in the New Testament. Mark chapter 2, verses 27 and 28. And see that it is Jesus said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. We understand in the time of Jesus, as I said earlier, that the Sabbath was covered by large numbers of regulations. Um, there were 39 different activities which were forbidden on the Sabbath, um, including sowing, planting, winnowing, gathering of seeds, cleansing, grinding, kneading, and baking. I have read that something was a Sabbath day journey. That's because there was a rule about how far you could travel on the Sabbath day. You wouldn't go more than a certain um, certain distance. And, and the reason for these rules is because there was a constant violation in the Old Testament of the law of rest. If you look down through it, Nehemiah, late, late in the Old Testament, is closing up the walls of the city against the traders because they're trying to come in and settle the Sabbath day. And he says, this is not God's law. This is not what he's put down, and I'm going to stop it. Um, but at the same time, we know that Jesus healed on the Sabbath, that he had someone take up their bed and walk or carry a burden on the Sabbath day, and that he defended his disciples for winnowing wheat in their hands on the Sabbath. And the reality was that the Pharisees had made the Sabbath day less restful to their copious regulations, and thereby they missed the point of the Sabbath. Sabbath day is for healing, blessing, and sharing messages of peace. And at the same time, I believe there's a strong tension between our tendency to turn a holy day into a holiday. We need rest and relaxation, but we need God more. We lose our focus on God. We lose some of the importance of the Sabbath. The Sabbath is not about the absence of work. It is about the presence of God without distraction. Let me repeat that. The Sabbath is not about the absence of work. It is the presence of God without distraction. Jesus himself needed time to rest. Mark 6, verse 31 said, And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place, and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28-30 says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Jesus does not deny the, the presence of the yoke here. He is telling us that it is an easy yoke and that he will help us to bear it. And then Luke 6, 
12, and those days he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. And Jesus found strength in something that I find very fatiguing. Um, and if Jesus needed time apart, then so much more do each of us. So why don't we rest? Jesus needed to rest if God put it into place in the Old Testament. Why is it that we struggle so? And I just put down some different um, different things. Um, I think sometimes it's about fear. Fear of not getting enough done. Fear of missing out on something. And just a fear of not leaving a mark on the people around us. Maybe a little bit um, is an overinflated belief in our own self-worth. To say, you know, I'm the only one who can really do a good job with this. And yet at the same time, you know, if you, one of us would die tonight, um, people would figure out how to get along without us, right? I mean, they would struggle, I'm sure. They'd struggle mightily, but, um, but they'd figure it out. And so, um, you know, there's a, there's a tendency for us to, to maybe think a little bit more of ourselves than what uh, we ought to. It's an underestimation of our breaking point. So, you know, we talked about the straw that breaks the camel back. And when I was a boy, I was just picture, you know, this camel standing there, and they're just piling stuff on top, and then they, you know, um, they come to this one last thing, and the camel sinks to his knees. And it's never a grand piano. It's just a little, you know, a, a pencil that, you know, somebody says, well, surely we can just put this pencil in here and pack it. And then that, you know, it's like that. Uh, a bridge, you know, a bridge is, you know, we drive over them all the time, and they're rated to how much? You know, it's a 12 tons. I have no idea how they came up with that 12 tons, you know. I've never tried out to see what happens if you drive a 13-ton um, truck over it. You know, probably nothing good. Um, a misunderstanding of, our, of the importance of Sabbath in the New Testament. So... If you look in Matthew 5.17, Jesus says, Do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And so, you know, sometimes you think, well, you know, that's Old Testament stuff. The Sabbath is gone, and Jesus said, don't bother keeping the Sabbath anymore. Um, and our, our tendency is to focus more on work than on rest. And this is not just in, in terms of... Uh, your occupation, but it is also in terms of church work, right? We say, well, you know, we have all these things that are good things to do. God's called us to do these things. We even have songs that kind of enforce it. So a song like, work for the night is coming, implies that you don't need to rest until night comes. Just keep going. And yet, maybe that doesn't work so much. There's rest by and by. So, you know, once you get to um, once you get to heaven, you can rest. But still, then you just boogie on down and keep going as fast as you can, and, and eventually, you know, people will realize that you're working hard, and maybe they'll help out a little bit. But if not, there's rest behind by. So why do we work? So we've been talking about rest, and yet I think for us to understand why. Um, why we rest, we also need to understand why we work. So why does the world work? Um, and I, I think people in the world work because they have to, um, and to make money. I know that that's very fulfilling, but that seems to be why 
um, they work. Why do Christians work? Well, Christians work for, for more reasons, I think. Ephesians 4.28 says, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. And so Christians do work because they have to. And they also work because they want to make some money and because it's commanded in Scripture. But they also work to support their families, to have to give to others. And I think the last thing is to honor God in the way in which they work. And so, the things that we do, everything should be focused on honoring God. And so, you know, understanding that work is necessary, rest is also necessary. So, Amy Carmichael said that she would rather burn out than rust out. Um, and she served for 55 years in India without a furlough. And that's a long time. Um, that's older than I am, and I just had a birthday. Um, at the same time, her last two decades in India, she was unable to do much ministry but, um, because she had a really bad fall and injured her back. And so she was pretty much confined for her bad and human writing. Um, and so I think it's a little bit of a false choice to say, you know, well, burn out, rust out. Those are your two choices as a human. And you just choose which one you want, and you know, it's... Uh, but it seems to me that God would actually rather have us um, figure out how to keep the Jeep going and um, change the oil periodically and um, the wiper blades and another mechanic. So there's probably other things that should be changed periodically. Do that so that your vehicle can keep running and keep going longer. And there's a reason why God instituted a day of rest from the beginning. Rest is beneficial. We know that it helps us from a physical standpoint, but it also helps us from a spiritual and spiritual standpoint. When we don't rest adequately, we tend to be more easily angered, struggle more with temptation, even if it's just something as simple as stress eating. Um, I remember I was about 15, 16 years ago, I was uh, working really hard. It was around Christmas time. And, um, I was up several nights, um, and I, I was really tired, but I thought I was pretty decently. And then I started getting pains in the back of my head. Um, and this, is, this story does not end with me having a stroke, so you all can feel good about that. But I kept having pains, and they, they were keeping me from sleeping. So I was even sleeping less well than I had before. Um, and I thought I wasn't sleeping very well because of other things. Now I couldn't sleep because of the pain in the back of my head. And, I thought maybe I had an ear infection, and you know when you're a doctor, you just have other doctors looking at your ear when you think there's something going on, and they couldn't see anything in there. I'm not sure what that said, but anyway, I said, it's like, well, maybe it's all in my head. It was all in my head. And then it started breaking out. It's shingles. For all of you who don't know, shingles is a reactivation of chicken box, which was a sign that I had gotten way too tired. My immune system was weakened. Because I didn't rest enough. And I was younger than I am now. I could probably, I would have been covered in shingles if I did what I did then and now. Uh, rest doesn't happen without preparation. We talked about that earlier. Manna was an example of that. So as the people saw a day of rest coming, they had to gather enough food um, and prepare for that, or they wouldn't have enough. 
if we don't rest enough, something will happen that will make us rest. Um, the promise as well is that if we keep the Sabbath in Jubilee, we will still have sufficient. So I'm not going to read it, but Leviticus chapter 25 talks a little bit about this. And I read a verse earlier that talked about that God was going to make sure that they would have three years abundance in the year before um, the Sabbath year in order to uh, make sure that they were able to make it through this year when they would allow the land to lie fallow. And Stuart Cathy came to my mind. You all have heard of him. He was a, a man who started Chick-fil-A. And he's deceased now. Um, but he purposed when he started that his restaurant uh, would not be open on Sunday. He just felt like it was a day of rest for his employees. It was a day um, when he would honor the Sabbath. And it's probably easy when you have one location, you're in a small town in Georgia. Um, but as you get bigger and you go through more and more places and there's stockholders and different places like that that, that all have their say in things, um, you know, maybe people think, well, you know, we're making so much money six days, if we open the Sabbath day, make a little more money. And yet, Chick-fil-A makes more money per location than any other fast food restaurant. Um, they made over $4 million per location last year. I think the one in uh, Lynchburg on Woodrow probably makes $5.5 million, I don't know. Uh, and that's in spite of being closed on Sundays. And so God has blessed that corporation because of the fact that they honor him with their work schedule. And I think their employers are probably happier, too. And final rest, of course, will come when we enter heaven. So rules of rest. Um, I'm not going to read it because we're coming closer to our end of time, but um, Mark 6, 45-52 is a story in which Jesus is praying while his disciples are rowing and rowing and making no progress on the Sea of Galilee. And I don't, I don't think the issue with this story was that the, that the disciples were afraid that they were going to sink. This is not one of those stories where there was a terrible storm, but it was a story in which Jesus' disciples were working and working and working and getting nowhere. And Jesus saw them in the meeting and came out and filled it. And he gave rest to the sea. And it feels a little bit to me like a demonstration of what can happen in our work. Jesus understood that even though he was tired, his focus was first beyond his relationship with God. The disciples thought that their first thing should be crossing the Sea of Galilee and getting to the other side. And then I'm sure they would have taken some time for devotions or whatever. Work is important, and our hours of work will outweigh our hours of rest, but rest is also quite important. Like another message in Scripture is that we should schedule regular shorter times of rest and less frequent longer times of rest. And this to me is the message of the Sabbath day and the Sabbath years. We need to learn to focus on God in our times of rest. Is there a big difference between a Christian and someone who does not have Christ? Because for the world, rest time is self-focused and purely designed to make us happy. And for Christians, the rest should have a focus on God. We should begin there. 
A rest time that is only focused on ourselves is unlikely to truly be restful. True rest begins with our relationship with Christ. Um, in Luke 10, 38-42, um, I do think I'm going to read that. Um, it's a very familiar story of Mary and Martha. Now it came to pass that they went, they entered into a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha received them into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was cumbered about with much serving. And Jesus said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Yet her therefore that she help me. And Jesus answered and said, Martha, Martha, Thou art careful and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful, and Mary has chosen that good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Now I sympathize with Martha. She's the one getting the work done. She saw the task to do at hand, and she was taking care of it, and Mary had left her to do it by herself. And she didn't ask Jesus to turn Mary away. She just said, Jesus, have her help me for a little bit. And then we can both come together and, and listen at your feet. And Jesus doesn't say that. And to me, this speaks to priorities. Begin with Jesus. Be with Jesus in your day. And do the work in the middle. And so often we say, you know, I've got to do this and this and this, and then I will squeeze Jesus into the corners. And that's the backwards time. If we squeeze him into the corners, he's going to get squeezed out all too often. Another rule of rest is to over schedule times of rest. Um, so our human tendency is even you know, when we have a time that we're going to be on vacation, we fill it up with a lot of stuff. And, um, and I've come away from vacations uh, more tired than when I left. And um, that's not wise. Make sure that we give adequate place for those around us to rest and make preparations so that rest happens. Um, and um, just thinking a little bit about this, um, you know, sometimes we think we're too busy to figure out how to rest. Um, and it reminds me, you know, sometimes I have patients who come in to see me and they tell me that they, you know, they were too sick last week to go to the doctor. Like, too sick to go to the doctor. You know, we're too busy to rest, you know. And so, you know, whenever we feel that way, maybe it's a sign that we extra, extra much need time to rest. And so just a few final thoughts. God has made provision for us. He's commanded us to work, but He's also commanded us to rest. Our human tendency isn't just to avoid rest, but to turn times of rest into times of busyness and anxiety. And we need to fight against that to listen to God. And true rest begins with a relationship with God. Isaiah 26, verse 3 says, Keep Him in perfect peace of mind and stay on you, because He trusts in you. I finished up just reading this song. This is, um, Jesus, I am resting, resting by Jean Sophia Pidot. Jesus, I am resting, resting in the joy of what thou art. I am finding out the greatness of thy loving heart. 
Now this gives me gaze upon thee, and thy beauty fills my soul. For by thy transforming power thou hast made me whole. Oh, how great thy loving kindness, faster, broader than the sea. Oh, how marvelous thy goodness, lavish upon me. Yes, I rest in thee, beloved. Know what wealth of grace is thine. Know thy certainty of promise, and have made it mine. Simply trust in thee, Lord Jesus. I behold thee as thou art. And thy love, so pure, so changeless, satisfies my heart. Satisfies the deepest longings. Meat supplies its every need. Compasses me, round with blessings. Divine is love indeed. Ever lift thy face upon me as I work and wait for thee. Rest in me, thy smile, Lord Jesus. Earth dark out of the brightness of my Father's glory, sunshine of my Father's face. Keep me ever trusting. Rest fill me with thy grace. Jesus, I am resting, resting in the joy of what thou art.